We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. The United States is a mafia government. No one has done more damage and degradation and murder, rape, and robbery than Europeans. Yes, therefore, in order to escape confrontation with their true criminal nature, they must accuse others of being criminals. What we call objection. They must become upset with the criminality of other people. And black folk become those other people, you see. One day, when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours. Oh, one day, when the war is won, we will be This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Because the Black Lives Matter movement emerged under a black president, black attorney general, and black homeland security, and they couldn't deliver, you see. So that when you talk about the masses of black people, the precious poor and working class black people, poor and working class brown, red, yellow, whatever color, they're the ones who are left out and they feel so thoroughly powerless, helpless, hopeless, then you get rebellion. And we've reached the point now, it's a choice between nonviolent revolution, and by revolution what I mean is the democratic sharing of power, resources, wealth, and respect. If we don't get that kind of sharing, you're going to get more violent explosions. America's chickens are coming home. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. That is a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, 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 not God bless America. God. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. And good evening, and 
thank you for being here in the Black Truth Sanctuary. This is Our Common Ground, and I'm Janice Graham. And I'm so glad to have you with us here tonight on this June 20th, 2020. Good to be here. Hope all of you are staying safe, that you are well. It is really hard to be black and well right now, but, you know, we have to go to that place. There is a place. The woman didn't sing this song because there was no place. There is a place. And for those of you who are listening from your smart devices, if you'd like to, you can join us. We have an unmoderated chat room where we talk about the issues being discussed on the air, and sometimes we are friendly with each other, and sometimes uh, there gets to be a little bit of aggression. But we have some wise people, some purposeful people who join us in this sanctuary every Saturday night, and I am so glad. Did I tell you all how glad I am to be back? I am. I am glad that the hounds are not behind me, you know, those hounds. And so I'm just really, really glad to be here and glad to see Alpha, my my little brother in the, in the chat room, the former host of the Alpha show, and our administrative producer, Logan Michelle is with us and thank you George for being with us as well. If you'd like to join the chat room, it's the best seats in the house. Blogtalkradio.com backslash O C G and you have to get your ticket because we have to you know, there was a time where I was spending way too much time fighting off the trolls, the white supremacist trolls that used to troll this show. And some of you who have um, been victimized by what was going on in my chat room with uh, trolls, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Tonight as we come into this broadcast, as a people, we are particularly concerned about what our struggle is all about, how we implement, how we strategize, what is our playbook, and what are the prices we are willing to pay. And I'm sending a big shout-out to the people who are still in the street, the people who are still keeping those embers very, very hot. Thank you for your service to our people. Now, you all know that that's not everybody's in the street, but the people who are organizing. There, I've been an organizer and an activist since, uh, you know, like a real one. I pretended like I was one when I was a teenager and young, but like a real one right in the middle of the struggle, understanding uh, the weight of what we do, getting smart by being mentored by people like Gloria Richardson and Chuck Turner and uh, Tom Atkins 
and Bruce Dixon and a whole host of people through the Black Panther Party, through the Coalition for Black Empowerment, through the I I can't tell you how many how many organizations in which I have particip- uh, taken my advocacy and and activism over the last uh, 42 years, and I am just so pleased that we have. You know, a lot of people will say, "Well, we didn't train up the generations behind us." Oh, absolutely. Because the people who are organizing in this struggle today over the last three weeks, they have done it magnificently. They have carried out strategies from one community and one um, uh, city to the next in such an awesome, smart way. Uh, As we say, It's on the table, and you can't do anything unless it's on the table. Tonight at Our Common Ground, uh, we are mindful in uh, in this episode of the police, Um, and we have titled this episode, Zero Tolerance Police in Schools Defending Our Children. Our guest tonight is someone who, for which our regulars are not unfamiliar. She is Zakia Sankara Jabbar. She's the National Director of Activism at Bright, Bright Beam and the co-founder of Racial Justice Now. She speaks to audiences across the country on issues of race and equal opportunity in schools, promoting strategic frameworks for change in education, in community development, in community engagement, and in addition to a lot of awards and appearances since she was one, since she was with us, Zakia was named to the inaugural hashtag Power 50 Leadership Fellowship for Women of Color with Community Change, and was recently featured in the Power 50 Leadership HBO series, uh, Problem Areas. She's an experienced and critically important community activist, organizer, and advocate for educational reform, which is specifically centered to children and parents in public schools. Her passion to fight and her understanding of the universe of how white supremacy works in the lives of black people is awesome, huge, enormous. And and we are proud to say that she has been an Our Common Ground voice since 2015. And before we bring her in, I do do want to make a couple of comments. Um, You know, one of the reasons that I create our openings that's so long is because you all know what time y'all work on. So that I give you a chance to get your snacks, to get your drink, to light up whatever, <laughs> to take your gummy bar, gummy um, bears or whatever, 
and to settle in. And one of the reasons that we make this program at 10 p.m. is because that is the time that serious thinkers are able to sit and make a space for serious thought. So we don't bring you comedians and entertainers. Well, we had Isaiah Washington on and a couple of other people, but uh, that's because they're my friends. So anyway, uh, I'm saying this to you so that you understand that I am accommodating you. See, I accommodate black people. And so with all of this, and, and happy Juneteenth by the way, I have been celebrating Juneteenth, but I, I up, it was only about 10 years ago that I started calling it Juneteenth. It was always Emancipation Day. Um, in my younger days, it was always about forums and organizing a cat, street academies and that kind of stuff. That's what we did on Emancipation Day. Uh, Roxbury Community College was the place where we taught uh, history of the Tulsa massacre and and uh, of emancipation, and we taught. And by the way, I know I'm interrupting myself. It's very hard for you to interrupt your own self, but I'm interrupting my own self. Uh, tomorrow might be a good day to teach the children in your homes, in your families, wherever there is. There are children that you love. The National Negro Anthem, and please don't call it the Black Anthem. It's not the Black Anthem. It's the National Negro Anthem. Don't be trying to change up people's stuff. we got to hold on to some history in the traditional way. So tomorrow might be a good day to teach the children in your lives the National Negro Anthem. When children learn those words, and I have posted them on my Facebook page, and they've always been on our website, the lyrics. When children learn those words, they begin to form a sense of obligation to their ancestors and their history. So tomorrow might be a good day for that. And also, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> well, you wouldn't know that um, tomorrow my Aunt Beecher, Beecher Wisnot, who lives right outside of Orlando, who is my father's sister, will be celebrating her 95th birthday. And I want to shout out to her that we are wishing her the best in her 95th year. She is still she is still looking for the keys that somebody hid to drive the car. Um, we're wishing her the best of everything for the 95th birthday and thanking her on her birthday for all that she has meant to our family. She is the last surviving of my father's generation, well, uh, it's really not his generation because he was an adult when she was born, but um, uh, for us, she's the last surviving 
aunt or uncle, peak or with not in our family. So we can't be with her. Um, I can't be with her uh, for her birthday, but we're going to have a Zoom party, and um, we are wishing her the best of more 95 years because she has lived an incredible, incredible life. She is a graduate of Talladega College. She was an educator and an education counselor for 40 years. In the last 10 years since she has been retired, she has issued 26 scholarships to black students in the area where, in the locations where she taught, all high school graduates. And we wish her the best. Now, uh, I just want to mention and a shout out to the pop star teenagers who bought up 30,000 tickets to the hate rally in Tulsa. <laughs> To the, I mean, you you can't get it better than this. The teenagers in Park City, Utah, ordered thirty thousand tickets for entrance to Trump's hate rally tonight in Tulsa. You can't beat it. I'm seeing also in the chat room, and I apologize to my guest that we're running so late, that um, India Declare, uh, one of our broadcast colleagues and friend, has lost her brother to COVID-19, and certainly the Our Common Ground and TruthWords Network uh, family sends out their condolences, our condolences to India. India Declare... I was looking for her show last night, and she wasn't scheduled, and I wondered why. And now I can see has lost her brother. India, uh, our heartfelt condolences go out to you and your family, especially your mother, your beloved mother, who I know uh, had never expected to bury a child. So condolences to India. And um, I'm going to um, thank um, Neil Katal, my former colleague and friend. Uh, I'm sure many of you have watched the backgrounds of all the commentators on TV since they are video conferencing in on the major news commentation commentator shows. Well, everybody has it all stayed. Steve Schmidt has a white kitchen and somebody else has a brown kitchen and they all put big orchids. Valerie, um, uh, um, Valerie that used to work for the Obama administration as chief of staff, I can't think of her last name right now, but uh, she had like this huge orchid in her kitchen. Nobody keeps their orchids in their kitchens. But anyway, Neil, I'm giving him the award for the week. He had the messiest papers and 
It looked just like his old office. Papers and books everywhere and his signature legal pad everywhere. A thousand pins in front of him. And um, his hair was not real combed or anything or whatever happened to his hair. And I'm giving him the award for the week because he was keeping it real. You're listening to Our Common Ground, and thank you very much for for joining us. And now, uh, to talk about police and in our public schools, Zakira Sankara Jabbar, welcome back. I'm so glad to have you. Hey there, I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me back. How are you? I know. I'm good. How are you doing? How are I'm hanging you doing? in there. It's been rough. You're very busy. Said, oh yeah, I'm very busy. It's been uh, a challenge, uh, you know, to, to um, you know, with this COVID nineteen. I've I've also, you know, had family members, distant relatives who have been impacted, and one family member actually passed away in March. Um, Whoa, very young. He's only forty five years old. So. Yeah, and then you know, just the transition with school being out the last three months and working from home has just been um, very uh, challenging, but we're we're making uh-huh. it through. Uh huh. Well, you know, your children are like grandchildren to me, and Asada <laughs> right. to watch her bloom because I was there. I mean, I wasn't really there, but I felt like I was there when she was born. And how right, old is she right. now? She will be six in less than a month, July 12th. Wow. Wow. Yep. She is uh, She is the same. She is uh, I, just to watch her. I mean, um, after you lug her, you have lugged her for years from one meeting to the next forum to the next meeting yep. to the next meeting. And she, yep. and you can tell how much she has benefited from understanding that she is in something important. Oh, yes. Yeah. And Absolutely. and how was your move from Ohio to D.C.? Um, it's been good. I love the DMV area. It's, um, you know, it's it's pricey in terms of, like, housing, but... Other than that, it's really one of the best moves that I've made, um, you know, career-wise, you know, for my children, you know, just being in a more uh, diverse area, an area with, you know, more access to resources and just a, a ton of different things um, are, are more positive. So, you know, if I had to do a cost-benefit analysis, um, definitely uh, more on the positive side. So, yeah, we, we, we like uh-huh. our um, – our experience here so far. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, you know, um, we are familiar with racial justice now and not so much familiar with Brightbeam. Tell us about your work at Brightbeam. Absolutely. So I am new uh, to Brightbeam. I've been there now um, going into my second month. It's um, really uh, an amazing organization. I have a great team of people uh, that I'm working with, and I have an amazing opportunity to lead the activism department. I'm the national director of activism, and 
My charge is to build out our activist network of education warriors and all across the country. Um, right now, we have a focus on uh, cities, and we're deeply uh, rooted in D.C., which, as you know, I'm already here. Uh, so we just uh, brought on a few activists who are going to be doing some work around education equity and the opportunity uh, gaps for black and brown children in D.C. Also, Chicago is one of our cities where we're doing some deep activism work. Oakland, the Bay Area is another, and then the Twin Cities, Minneapolis. Um, so I'm really excited because in just the last two months, I, last two months since I've been on, I've had an opportunity uh, to bring on people who are who are who are already activists, uh, really in their community. But I've I've had an opportunity to really um, help them uh, leverage their activism and take it to a new height by them coming on to the Bright Beam team uh, to do that work and to also receive, you know, the resources and, you know, digital content development and all the things that you need in terms of doing activism really well, you know, providing them with different tools that they need, if they need access to data, if they need access to anything to really increase their capacity. It's just really been great. Um, it's been one mm -hmm. of the best career moves, again, that I said, you know, that I've, that I've really uh, had. I'm still also very involved, as you know, with Racial Justice Now. Um, I'm on the board. I'm a permanent board member. We have our bylaws set up that way because I'm a co-founder. And uh, so the work with Racial Justice Now is also uh, blooming and blossoming. The chapter in Dayton is still open. Um, looking for some staff there. Uh, but we the, the the work that we're doing in the DMV region here as well, because the chapter opened in January of 2019, so that work has really picked up, and there's a bunch of interest in black-led organizing um, uh, out in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is actually where we where my my family and I reside. We're we're in Montgomery County, uh, which as you know is a suburb of DC. So it's been great, all all is well career-wise. Yeah. Uh -huh. What about how, how does all of that intersect with your fellowship at Power 50 and at Wayfinder Foundation? Yeah, I'm so I was so excited to receive both of those fellowships. It really just was an um, I think a culmination of sorts, if you will, and um, not necessary validation, but a recognition of the work that I had been doing, as you know, for many years uh, in Dayton, where, you know, Dayton is kind of off the beaten radar. Ohio in itself is kind of off the beaten radar until it's election time. But especially when it comes to black issues, you know, people seem to think that black people don't live in the Midwest, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's really strange. Um, but, you know, that work was very difficult, as you know, um, being in the Midwest, being in a city that's been deindustrialized and replaced with a service economy. It's a very poor city. Um, but in terms of, of the fellowships, I mean, they have just been amazing. The Power 50 Fellowship, um, you know, shout out to my friend uh, Trish, Trish Hume, who um, is a Ghanaian sister, actually. And she and I uh, connected when I got the award from uh, the Community Change uh, the, the year before. I was recognized by them uh, in 2016 as the emerging, a national emerging uh, leader award. And so that's where she and I connected. And when she was working on developing this program, 
she actually reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I think you would be perfect. This is our inaugural fellowship. It's for women of color, and it's really a program designed to support the leadership of women in executive positions and women who have started their own nonprofits. And I tell you, and I'm not lying, it truly was a transformational experience. Um, and, 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 and the reason why I say this is because I actually thought that it was going to be, like, real programmy and it was going to be, like, you know, a bunch of papers and, you know, different, quote, unquote, practical tools. But it really was so much deeper than that. It was really an, uh, um, a spiritual experience almost where, you know, digging into your spirituality, digging into the work that our ancestors, you know, had did uh, before us and, you know, kind of just lifting their work up as a model, right, to both emulate but also to, to, to learn from and to really expand upon. And so I'm just grateful. The Wayfinder Fellowship, is, is it was also a very uh, transformative fellowship. I'm actually still very involved. I'm still very involved with both of them, and I've made connections with women in both of those fellowships that are life, that will be, you know, lifelong uh, friendships, right? Some of those women I've done work with, you know, since then, um, Sister Jennifer Wells, who runs our future West Virginia, uh, has brought me in as a consultant on the education justice. Uh, you might have saw that. I've, I've posted several times about that, but black folks catching hell all over. As you know, Appalachia, West Virginia is predominantly poor and white, but black folks are there as well, but they're invisible. Most of the time people yeah, don't think yeah. you know, black people exist in these places, and they're catching hell, Janice. They're catching hell. Yeah. And so she brought me in, and I've done um, some some trainings for them around the model that Rachel just is now used in terms of getting education equity and advancing um, a system that does not harm our children. As you know, it's damn near impossible doing it within their systems, but we're doing what we have to do, and we're giving them the tools to uh, push as, as hard as they can for, act, for, for equity uh, for black children in West Virginia. So it's both of those experiences I could go on and on. We could really spend the whole hour talking about it. I mean, because they were just both um, just very transformational experience. Um, there was a monetary award with the uh, Wayfinder Foundation, and they actually just give you resources to do things that you may not have resources for. So some of those things for me included, um, you know, traveling for different trainings that I didn't necessarily have a budget for at the time, right? So that gave me access mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Um, it opened up other opportunities. As you mentioned in my bio, I've now been featured on two television shows. Um, I was on HBO um, uh, with Wyatt Cenex Problem Areas with uh, season two that focused on education in the United States. So that was an amazing opportunity uh, so from that opportunity, uh, Adam Adam Ruins Everything, which is on True TV, um, they reached out to me, and they had a segment as well. And actually, it was on school policing, which is now a huge issue right now, right? It was on school yeah. policing, and I, I did that episode. That episode featured me uh, a lot more heavily than the one on HBO, but those two opportunities have just really opened up the doors, um, you know, just in terms of my own professional career, but also in terms of me being able to get into the communities um, that I really want to be in to really impact change, particularly for black folks and black families and black children. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm blessed. I'm tired, but I'm grateful. This is my 
this is my calling. So ain't no use in me complaining about it. I'm I'm doing the best that I can to take care of myself and refill my cup. But this is my calling, and I'm and I'm grateful. Wow. Well, I'm so proud of you. I have been watching you, and you know that I have, and <laughs> right. and bowing to to all of the efforts. Tonight, you know, I, I want to talk about uh, the the your thoughts because you are, in my estimation, a thought leader about the idea of the presence. In, first, I want to go back three weeks and get your thoughts about what has happened in three weeks. What what has it taught us about how we defend our children and how we can continue to have any tolerance at all? Mm-hmm. For our children being supervised by police in schools. So let's go back three weeks. Mm -hmm. George Floyd. Yes. I um that's that that seems well, it has been a transformational moment into what I call um not necessarily the revolution, but it's certainly a variation that some can consider a social revolution because there's been a, you can't lie that there's been an increase in consciousness. And not just of black people, uh, you know, there's been an increase in consciousness really across the board, white people, all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned earlier, I now live in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, you know, which is a suburb of D.C., and the community is like the United Nations, literally. There's all kinds of people in, that live in this community that speak about 100 different languages, literally. There's, there's, there's black folks from the continent, all over the continent. My son has friends from the Cameroon, from uh, Senegal, from all kinds of places. There's, of course, there's black folks from the Caribbean. There's everybody. And when I attended, both of them, my son and I, when we attended uh, a rally about two weeks ago, I was floored because keep in mind, like, this this ain't my first time. This ain't my first rodeo. You remember John Crawford was killed outside right. of Dayton in 2014, mm-hmm. yeah. okay? And remember, my co-founder, Mama Randall, was actually arrested. I, I wasn't there because I had just had a Sodom. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I was, I, she, she, she was still very young. And so, you know, you make those kind of decisions. But Mama Randall was there for us, and she was actually arrested during the protest. And I can remember even then the protests were much smaller and they were a lot blacker. It wasn't a whole lot of damn allies, <laughs> okay? And yeah. when you look at the protests now, you know, there, there's just, I think everybody has just had enough. The other thing is I think the occupant in the White House has also raised the consciousness for a lot of people is just that, you know, people are li- you, you you have to be living under a rock to say that anti-black racism doesn't exist. I mean, you know, it, I, I think I think the occupant in the White House, in addition to the advent of video and in, in, in smartphones where people are literally recording things on their smartphones, that has really revolutionized what we're seeing. That uh, both of those contribute. Black folks know that these things have been happening for centuries. We know it, but now the world knows it, right? Because we saw protests literally all over the world, Janice. It wasn't even just the United States. 
Yeah. There yes. was protests in Europe. There's protests in everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> okay. So it, it, what we're seeing absolutely. now is a move. Absolutely. And so now we're seeing where you've had organizations like Racial Justice Now back in 2015 calling out to get police out of dealing with our kids in the schools. We have a Dayton Daily News article we can link people to. We got receipts. You have organizations mm-hmm. like Racial Justice Now, like the Twin Cities Innovation Alliance, and uh, got to get my sister Keeva Lady Armstrong in the Twin Cities, who's a civil rights lawyer, former NAACP president of the Minneapolis branch, and just all around a badass sister. All of these people have been fighting to get the damn cops out of schools in Minneapolis and St. Paul for years. Same in Portland, Oregon. Shout out to Mama Sheila Warren, who is an elder black woman who has been on the front lines of education equity in one of the whitest cities in the country for black folks in uh, Portland, Oregon. They announced that they're uh, um, uh, getting rid of the contract with the police. And so I want your listeners to know that black folks have been leading this for years. Now the policymakers are catching up. We have been telling them before the videos that we have families coming to us saying that these damn SROs are hurting our kids in these schools. And so we've been advocating. The organizations like Dignity in Schools campaign, Janice, as you know, I was their national field organizer for three and a half years, just recently left because I got a, a better opportunity with Brightbeam. But listen, I was traveling all over the country working in these communities, particularly Minneapolis, and 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 Portland, Oregon are two cities that I went in several times over the last few years to support the leadership in the community to call for counselors, not cops, and police-free schools. So all of these. Well, it was it was in 2013 that we were talking about it here at our common ground. The work that was being done. Exactly. Exactly. That was 2013. So that's right. So I'm I'm just connecting for your listeners. I don't want see I don't want people to think that things are happening in a vacuum. I don't want people to think these politicians suddenly, right? You know, it was their idea. It was not their idea. People have been begging them, and that video that we saw of that brother out of Baton Rouge. I've been shutting down school board meetings for years, just like that brother, but it wasn't on video. Okay, we got yes. black folks that yes. shutting down school boards in communities all over this country, but nine times out of ten, we don't know about it because it's not on a viral video. The point is, black folks are fighting. We continue to fight for the humanity of ourselves. We continue to fight for the humanity of our children. We continue to fight. And so that's what Uh, I want the message to be. here, here, Here is my question, and I want everyone to hear me very, very clearly. The evidence is in. There is no one, I mean, I asked in the chat room very early, I posed the question, does anyone have an argument against zero tolerance for police in schools? Well, nobody has responded yet, but I'm going to respond for you. There is no reason why we should ignore the evidence that police don't care about our children. They don't keep us safe. And I think what is happening, if we know while we protest the brutality of policing in black communities, 
The question really is, why would we allow our children to be subjected to that same kind of cult, gang, thug mentality behavior in our schools? That's That's the question. That's the question. Exactly. You know, and and, and so, uh, Zakia, help me out here. Because two weeks ago, you know, I don't live in Boston anymore, right? I have to tell all the guests I don't live in Boston anymore. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm so proud of you. You and Mama Randall, uh, y'all, both of y'all left. She left Ohio. Both of y'all in Florida. <laughs> I know we were trying to get together, and then the pandemic came. So, <laughs> so, but we're gonna hustle up Florida real good uh, together as we get it together here, but. Um, I, I just cannot understand how, and, and Ruby Sales was with us a couple of weeks ago, and, she, and, 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 and how we allow, first of all, we've got teachers in these schools who don't care about our children, and that's one issue. And the other you issue is you've got that. police who are disciplining children. And I know that I have a very good friend, a brother that I love, who is a police officer in a school. And I tell him every time we talk, y'all terrorizing children and you shouldn't be there. And I don't want him to be unemployed. I want him to go do something different or go get some training to be a counselor. I don't care because he's a good brother. But at the same time, it's the culture of thinking that our children need Law enforcement uh, supervision. Exactly, it's a culture. And I know that continues. I, I know that there's some people out there, Zakia. Zakia, uh, we got some brothers and sisters out there saying, "Yeah, but them, them some bad children. If they're so bad, then get them out of that environment into an environment that figures out why they're so bad." And, you know, some can be saved and some can't be saved. That's the answer to that. And I know who you you are. Go ahead. Yeah, (laughs) no, I'm I'm, pointing. No, I'm right there with you. I think I think just what's what's important is that, you know, for the people who would frame bad uh, black children in that way, sometimes I have to. I just have to question them because so much data and research is out there, uh, Janice, that black children actually don't misbehave more than any other kid of any other race. They're just punished more. And so if they if yes. they so bad, there's so much research out there. All the goddamn kids is bad, okay? So my thing is, is how are we defining bad? Is it is it is it children being children and is normal childhood behavior? And, yes, they get on your nerves as an adult. But we have to have people who are in our schools who understand that. We, what's wrong with these teacher training programs? What's wrong with these programs that you have adults in, 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 in schools that don't even like kids? I, I, yep. I, I really, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not a teacher material. I, I don't necessarily have the patience, but I know that about myself, which is why I never went into teaching. But you have people who actually are like me who get in the who collecting a government paycheck being a teacher and should not be in that position. Let's just keep it real. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. and they're there. Marva Collins, they're, but see, Marva, I, I got to say this, though. Marva Collins didn't feel like that about black children. She had a heart for black children. She knew they could learn, and she didn't let anybody tell her that they were savages. That's just like calling our kids savages. Exactly. They're not savages, right? You have to have people who have a heart for our children. Shout out to Marva Collins and all the uh, master teachers black master teachers yep. who, who know that yep. black children, there's nothing wrong with them and they can learn. Well, I came from a family of 28 teachers. I grew up in a family where there were 28 teachers. Some of them were teachers because of their generation for college-educated black people, women especially, there were no other options. Um, but they taught in segregated schools. And the kids who were in their schools and the parents who were in their schools and the community leaders who supported their schools had expectations that every student would succeed. And that was the difference. And here we are in 2020 where we've got a, you know, Zakia, I just want to say this, and I want to get your, test, your, 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 your thoughts about this. I think part of the reason that we have so many school boards who are voting, I mean, let me tell you this story. Two, week, week, two weeks ago, week, last week, whenever, the superintendent of Palm Beach, that's why I was telling you I had moved. The superintendent of Palm Beach County Schools was on MSNBC, and he was talking about, he's the superintendent of Palm Beach County Schools, largest school district, the second largest school district in the state of Florida. And he was wow. talking about how fearful he was for himself, he was talking about George Floyd murder, but how fearful he was for that kind of cult behavior for himself and his children. Okay, put that in in, in one of the squares. Here's the next square. Hmm. Last year I had to receive an award for an aunt who died from the school board mm-hmm. uh, after her death. And while mm-hmm. I was there, they were having a meeting, and the same superintendent was having a gleeful period of boast because the Palm Beach County schools had gotten approval for 125 more police in the schools. Now, what the hell is wrong mm. with that picture? And part Mm-mm. of it is political. I'm a political activist. So part of it mm-hmm. is political because there's an incestuous relationship between the school board and these cities, and they feed on each other, and they will eat your young doing it. Yes, they will. You let them. Yep. So here's the superintendent talking about how fearful he is, but he's putting 125 more police officers in the schools where your children go to school. What the hell? Exactly. And it don't make no damn sense. It, it makes no it sense make at sense. all. And he's black, right? 
and and and, and there's another point I I want to hear from you, uh, Zakia, on that I'm fearful of, and that is the relationship between some of these street high schoolers, kids who hang out in the street. They know everybody. They know all the cops. They know all the drug dealers. They know all the gangbangers. And they hang on the corners so they know stuff. And they go into the school, and when they run into those same cops who are policing their schools, they run their mouths, and that's when things get really bad. That's another vulnerability of our children. Right. And here's the other one. Some of these adult cops. See, you got to, Zakia, you got to get to the base of it. And the base of it is that most of these police officers don't give a crap about your children and they think they are less than. That they think right. that black children somehow are not the same as white children. Wow. Like George Floyd and Tamir Rice and Sandra Bland, they're not the same as the white people they know like them. Right. So they go in and they flirt with these young teenage girls in these high schools. And when you know anything, there's sexual harassment, extortion, and even assault. And our daughters, and our nieces are not talking about it because they are ashamed. Because that's how, you know, that's how teenage girls are. They love to be flirted with. So you're exposing your children to people who are not accountable to you because the police has already proved to you they're not accountable. The police in Atlanta, the police in Minnesota, the police in Tulsa tonight, today, all of them, they're not accountable to the mayor, the governor, or nobody. They are accountable to their gang, to their thug gang. That's who they're accountable to, and I'm going to let Zakia take that. Well, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, all I got to say really is ditto to that. I mean, again, as I mentioned earlier, is this a continuation of literally centuries of dehumanization uh, and, and anti-blackness. What I think we don't name enough in these conversations, we talk about racism, and it is, but it's a particular kind of racism. And to me, it's, 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 it's anti-black racism. It's anti-black racism. Because how is it that, especially when it comes to our children, we've had decades of an education debt when it comes to academic achievement and outcomes, right? We've had decades of underfunding. We've had decades of pushing black teachers out of, 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 of the schools, especially since Brown. We, we, don't talk, we don't have these hard conversations about, about things like that. To me, you can't be about racial justice if you're not about anti-black naming and undoing anti-black racism. Anti-black racism is a fulcrum of white supremacy. It really is. And, 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 and people need to sit with that because how else can you explain, Janice, decade after decade, 
It's a new fight for black folks. It's a renewed yeah. fight. Decade, we think yeah. we beat them one something. We still fighting for voting rights. Didn't we die and get hit over the head at Edmunds Pettus Bridge in 1965? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and you know what I brought? You know what I brought to you tonight for that? It's going to be at the top of the hour. Harry Belafonte said it. He said it in 1963. Mm-hmm. That it's time after time, and it's never going to stop. Right. And well, Derek Bell uh, told us that that racism is permanent. Yes. The anti-blackness, you know, that's that whole critical race theory. You know, that's it. You know, Derek Bell was a very good friend of mine. I have friends. Wow. There, but, uh, he that's was a very amazing. good friend of mine, and um, uh, he was one of the first people actually that I met when I went to Boston, but out of high school. And he said to me one day, he said, you know what your greatest strength is? <laughs> and, you know, we were drinking some bourbon and, and sitting around just talking talking the struggle. And he said, your greatest, your greatest strength is that you grew up black in the South. Mm. You know some things. Yeah. He, he, yeah, you know some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And and that was before that was before his first book, you know. <laughs> so I I love Derek. When 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 Derek moved out of Boston, I was just you know. And then when he got sick, and you know, I mean, I th- thought about Charles Ogletree. Charles Ogletree was the first attorney to ever attempt to get reparations on the Tulsa massacre, and Charles yeah. Ogletree is now uh, with Alzheimer's and very ill, very ill. And I love yes. him so. I mean, I have had some wonderful. You know, I have no reason not to love black people. Thank you. No reason whatsoever. Black, black, black women, black children, black men. I love yes. our people. Yes, yes. I so love we're our talking people. about Derek Bell. We're talking about um, Charles Ogletree, uh, Harry Belafonte. Stayed at our house when there was no hotel in West Palm Beach for him to stay in. I mean, wow. our history is, is is so rich. My personal history gives, as my mother used to tell me, everything that you ever got makes you obligated. That's right. That's so right. So here we are in 2020, knowing what we know about brutality from police, how they feel about us, Zakia, how they mm-hmm. feel about us, what they think about our children, what they think about our humanity, and we allow our children to be sealed into a building with them having the highest authority because the principal, the vice principal, and the counselors have no control over those officers in the schools. And it's unacceptable. And people are making money because when the local police assign an officer for two days in a school or three days or all the time in a school, that's a whole different pay range. Right. When schools exactly take right. on these contracts with the police department, 
That's a whole incestuous kind of relationship of power and authority and the principal and the vice president principal and the superintendent, once it's installed, cannot question the authority of the police in your school. So that really means that every person who lives in a community that has police in their public schools, whether you're a grandparent, a godmother, a mother, a father, an uncle, or an aunt, you need to be asking the school board, what's up with this nefarious policy of having police in our schools? You need to be asking that question. Well, you know, I think we, we're seeing that. We're seeing that in a number of different areas. We're seeing new campaigns emerge. Um, you know, there's we you know, we're even uh there's even a campaign here in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is has the largest school district in the state of Maryland. And uh, there's a call to remove the regular presence of law enforcement SROs from our schools. We already see that we have data that reflects that black children are arrested the most, particularly those with disabilities. Um, you know, and that's really criminal. It's criminal. You have black children yeah, who are really already diagnosed really with, with disabilities, and you're gonna call the police on them. You know, it's sick. I, I, we're, we're, there's there's a resolution last week from the school board where they were asking for the data, uh, and I, I'm eager to see it. And I hope I hope that they tell the truth because I want to know which one of these teachers, what color they are, what they look like, who who are y'all calling the police on in these damn schools. And yeah, yeah. why? Why? Why you know, would you do that? Well, oh, one of the reasons students. why many white parents send their children to private school, one of the reasons is they don't want them to be influenced by your children. But the other is because they have control over who's in charge, who teaches right. and who administers the educational agenda in that school. We're going to have to take a break. Zakaya, you stay with us. All of you who would like to join us in our chat room, it's blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And our number is 347-838-9852, and we're going to be taking your calls as we come back. Uh, I do want to ask you to stay with us. I have a big announcement to make at the end of the broadcast tonight. And we do. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. And you got to help us out. We're just coming back after a two-year hiatus. And uh, you got to let people know that we're back on the air. Uh, help us get our numbers up uh, so that we can do some things. We want to do some things. We want to be mindful in all of this. We'll be right back. catching and let him know that if he's not ready 
to clean his house up. If he's not ready to clean his house up, he shouldn't have a house. It should catch on fire and burn down. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. invite you to be a regular here at Our Common Ground, Saturday night, 10 p.m. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And at Truth Works Network, this is Alternative Progressive Urban Talk Radio. Our Common Ground Media and Communications, where race and talk matters. Join us on all of our social network platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and our web blogs. TruthWorks Network, where the truth must be spoken more than once. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and have a lot to celebrate. For most, it's the beginning of the best years of their lives, especially if they've had a benchmark test for possible early signs of prostate cancer. Because a simple blood test in your early 40s can mean fully enjoying the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. A prostate exam means staying alive. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And we do enjoy your support of Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852, and tonight... 
We are talking about police in schools, how we defend our children. Our guest is Akia Sankara Jabbar. She is the National Director of Activism at Bright Beam and the co-founder of Racial Justice Now and doing so much of the organizing work that uh, we need to have done in our community and we want to thank her and offer our appreciation for all the time she has been in our common ground voice since 2013 and it's all been the same the work to develop community consciousness around issues having to do with educational advocacy and policy and policy that drives other policy around children and education. Zakia, thank you so much for joining us uh, again tonight. I had something for you, and it was, um, I don't know, somebody's got to come in here and help me produce the show because, you know, uh, doing all this stuff is, (laughs) but anyway, it was an interview that was done in 1963 with Harry Belafonte. And, um, in what he was saying, and I'm going to try to bring it up so that we can hear it at the uh, at a at, at another time. Um, um, and what he was saying was in 1963, he was saying that this is going to continue. We're going to go over and over and over and over. And if you had been with us last week uh, with Dr. James Taylor, of the, univers- uh, the, the chair of the Department of Politics um, at the University of San Francisco, he was saying the same thing, that we, our history shows slave rebellions, Rebellions and movements during the post during the uh, post construction years, uh, constant reevaluation and mounting of movements during the civil rights era, during the Black Power movement. I mean, I know when I joined the Black Panther Party, uh, it was because um, <coughs> excuse me, it was because I was involved in the breakfast program. Um, and then it evolved into something else and then to something else, and then I was doing topographical research uh, and uh, journalism and the whole nine yards and then started doing some broadcasting. And so every move, there has been a, black people have been involved in some kind of movement since slavery. Um, and you know now we're right. in this, you know it it, it 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 now we're in this. I don't know what to call this movement other than a rebellious resurgence, and it has to be about our future. And and you know y'all used to say all the time. You know how y'all say things. Y'all always have a saying, something to come back with people with. Uh, our children are our future. Well, if our children are our future and we're putting our children in the hands of police every day, 
guess what? We're 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 setting them up. We're establishing them. We're hoping exactly because it's trauma all day. I mean, you've got black children who go to go at home, and when there's a street on the fight, uh, a fight on the street, everybody saying, "Don't call the cops! Don't call the cops!" Because you know what the outcome of that's going to be. And some of the brothers on the street. They try to handle it because we don't want to call the cops, but we send our kids to schools where the cops are. I don't get it. It's ludicrous. Listen, it's it's completely ludicrous. It's backwards. But you mentioned something earlier. It's political. It's also lucrative. Let's just be honest. There's a whole industry around social control of black people and other people of color. You know, there's a whole industry around it. And law enforcement is a big part of it. In my opinion, the FOP is a terrorist organization because they protect these killer cops. We got to deal with qualified immunity. You have legalized terrorists when it comes to black folks, call police, patrolling our communities like an occupation. You know? And this is indicative of why this is indicative of why you mentioned Bruce Dixon earlier and others you know, over at the Black Agenda Report, black folks have also been calling for and fighting for community control of police and schools. We've been fighting to control institutions within our community. You know, I wasn't going to go here tonight, but I do think it's critical that I mention this. And I think one of the things that we don't do well, and I'm one of them, I recognize it, but I don't think we talk about well is the folks within our community, as they say, kin folks and skin folks, who are complicit with white supremacy, who are hey, complicit now. in advancing the harm that's happening. The brother that you just talked about from Palm Beach County, he's a prime example. Why? Uh-huh. Why? And I'm sorry, but there's black mayors all over this country that are doing the same thing. People forget. People always talk about mood, Janice, and nobody ever wants to talk about it. It was Wilson Good that made the call, a black yes. mayor. Yes. And I don't yes. think we – and that's the thing. We don't talk about it well. I feel like, you know, we 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 feel like, okay, but they're still victims too. And I agree. We're all victims of this system. But we have to find accountability mechanisms to deal with people like that in our community. We can't continue to vote for them and elect them. We, we need some litmus tests in the black community. I'm sorry when it comes and, to these and, people who claim to represent us. We've got, there's too many black folks in these schools that's going along with uh, cops in schools. We got to deal with that. There's a brother that's a lawyer down in Jackson, Mississippi right now. His name is Adolfo Minka. He's also uh, the co-chair of the Black Lawyers Association. And he has been almost a long ranger, Janice, in calling out the murders of black people in Jackson. It has gotten no press. It has gotten nobody's talking about it, but very Mm -hmm. few people, including him, And a part of it is, and it's real hard because Jackson has 
a black mayor who comes from a revolutionary uh, family. Yeah, yeah, and I knew his father really well. I don't know him, right? But I was uh, a comrade of his father's for many, many years. Many years. And but I, you part know, of so that has to do. Part of that has to do with we have to come to grips. We have to really analyze, and we have to mm-hmm. real, really call challenge for a, an accountability of the relationship between those people who say that they um, uh, that they they represent our interests, and when they don't. Yep. I am really or they'll have so all the right glad that you brought. That's right. You know, um, I, I'm not going to say who said it to me, but someone who I absolutely love, who uh, grew up in a warrior home, and and she and and she, now she's a, a big wiggy wig, blah blah blah, and and she called me and she said, you know what, we got to stop electing these black people who don't have mm-hmm. any balls. Mm-hmm. We got to stop electing black people who get into a system that they don't understand and get trapped. Yep. That's what happens. Yep. The mayors get yep. trapped by trying to maintain you you can't you can't have a relationship with a black bear. That's why you right. don't have them in your homes. There's no such right. thing as being friends with a black bear. And when you bring a black bear into your agenda, thinking that you're going to calm the black bear, and and then the black bear controls you, what you do, what Mm -hmm. you say, how you move. So that's, that's one of the things. And we've got to elect people who have an option. Mm-hmm. We've got to elect right. people that, that who understand they have nothing to lose. And this is what happened to us, and y'all going to all go crazy, so go crazy before I say it, and we'll all get over it. This is what happened to Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. He tried to yep. have relationships with a black bear. Mm-hmm. And we paid oh, the price because we spent every political chip we had getting him there. Mm-hmm. We let him mm-hmm. do some things. I know I... I just have to say, you know, y'all know, I'll testify in a minute. I'll be a witness. I gave him a pass on some stuff, and that mm-hmm. was my black bear. That was my black bear. I own that black bear. And everybody who's listening to us tonight, you got to own a black bear. You can't be friends with the mayor who sends out police officers, who shoots tear gas on you, and then think you're going to still be friends with the mayor because the mayor apologizes. Mm-hmm. Every black person, Zakia, you know, the thing, the, the thing, 
I was talking to, I don't know who I was talking to, um, some person on on Twitter got my attention. And usually on Twitter, nobody gets my attention. Um, <clears throat> and And she was just really talking, and I was thinking to myself, who the hell is this person? Why are they talking to me so much? You know, and maybe that's the kind of way I am, the way I'm wired. Uh, And we've got to have elected people who are saying, what does this person want? Am I willing to give this person what they want? Uh, We've got to have principals who are willing to say, this is not working. We need people that have an African-centered or black agenda. Particularly if you're going to be elected in a city that's majority black, we can't have people in a city that's majority black being anti-black. That's ridiculous. Now, listen, I get it. We got to call some names. We got to call some names because justice cannot grow in the dark. Well, I'll call several names. I live right here. Like I said, I don't live in D.C. proper, but I live in the DMV region. And I'll say that Mayor Muriel Bowser is completely problematic. And I say that with confidence because I I support uh, the organizers, the black women-led organizers, uh, Sister Nene Tay and April Groggins, who have been hitting the pavement hard for all the black men that the MPD, the Metropolitan Police Department, have killed. Uh, in the city over the last several years, and definitely since I've been living here, I donate to their work monthly because I want to see justice for black people. We got class enemies within our community, and she's one of them. Now, I know she was on CNN, and they had this panel and everything about all these black mayors, but what the problem is is that they are not the kind of black mayors that I say uh, was in the tradition of the father, uh, Chokwe, who was only uh, in office, as you know, for a short period of time. They're certainly yeah. not in the same mold of a Harold Washington of Chicago, who yeah. was in office a short period of time, right? And it's funny, it's the same yeah. kind of circumstances with Daddy uh, Chokwe, Lumumba, and Harold Washington. See, when, when, when black people organize for power and we get the right person in there, suddenly they have heart attacks. I ain't going to even go there. But listen, that's what happened. I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm listen. I'm I'm. Um, I done studied, and 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 I'm I'm just very familiar with a lot of the tricks of these um, alphabet agencies. And and like I said, I'm not gonna get into that. But I have my suspicions on 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 the things with those two brothers. But the other piece is that we also have progressive mayors uh, in Detroit, and as as we call him, Mayor for Life here in D.C., Marion Barry. So Marion mm-hmm. Barry and all these other people, they helped, they made sure that black people got a piece of their pie. You got people, you got Muriel Bowser now that's taking money from developers and allowing them to gentrify all the damn black people out of D.C. after everything that uh, um, uh, Marion Barry built. And yeah. it's sad that nobody it's, on the national level yeah. is talking about it. It's just the grassroots people. Yep. It's just the grassroots people. None of the grass tops people, especially these so-called civil rights agencies, they're not dealing with it, Janice, and we got to talk about that. They're getting all all these monies and grants and stuff because of the uprisings. Again, ain't none of these grass tops folks out in these streets. Ain't none of them out in the streets. The people who are out in the streets are the people who are Comcast is Comcast has pledged $211 million. Uh, because yeah. 
I don't know, cause George Floyd paid his bill or something. I, 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 I'm not getting it. Just like I'm not getting everybody had Juneteenth happiness yesterday. But anyway, well, Comcast, uh, Comcast was I ready did. to end our rights to the 1863 Civil Rights Act with, uh, Thank you. with the brother Byron. Thank yeah, you. So I, you know, we so can't forget know. that kind of thing. I don't know if it's seeking redemption or seeking uh, is a marketing brand or something, but um, the only organization that I recognized, uh, two organizations, EIJ, which I agree uh, has been working on lynching uh, and and issues around lynching and policy and legislation oh, yeah. around lynching. Brian Stevenson is the real deal. Absolutely. Yeah, Brian. I mean, I love that brother until, as Alpha might say, until you don't love him. <laughs> but anyway, right now, I love him. The yeah. um, the the other is Encobra. I've been a member of Encobra since 1967. Yeah. Wow, you know I'm involved with in Cobra. Um, my uh-huh. my my husband is actually. I mean, the they don't call me no more because you know it, when I was in government service, um, you know you you really have to. That was one of the reasons I came off the air for two years because um, Ben Carson has had decided some stuff. And I knew the only way they could get me, and I wasn't shutting up. <laughs> the only way they could get me was through this radio show. So I had to suspend the radio show for a minute so I could retire and get the hell on out of there. But I know. But <laughs> you had to I do mean, what you had to do. They, I ain't they had you. the hounds out. Just what they did to Berman, they was getting ready. I was ready, but they were getting ready. So... Uh, we we just have to we 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 just have to. And what Bowser has done, and you know the thing is that they think they're slick. You you mm-hmm. name uh, Lafayette Plaza, uh, you, you name Lafayette Park, um, that part of Pennsylvania Avenue, um, Black Lives Matter Black Plaza. Lives Matter. And I was I was and I thought that was I thought that was a good. I'm I'm always one for a good clapback. So yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. You have some underlying things that's going on in your schools and in your police department. Name that Black Lives Matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you, you just can't keep doing the marketing things, the things that make people mm-hmm. feel good. Because people don't, I mean, if you look at the movements in history, the history of black people in this country, the the, the feel-good stuff don't last so long. Um and then the underground starts rumbling. And when the underground starts rumbling, we start calling names, you know, like I'm not going to pick on him tonight, and I'm wishing him the very best of of healing and health. But, you know, the John Lewis's and the, you know, I, you know I, because I don't have a Harold, Harold Washington to call anymore or Ron Walters to call or Dr. Conrad Warrill to call oh, and, and they, yeah. you know or Amos can. Wilson yeah, I can't tell Amos you Wilson. Much. oh you know what that reminds me I'm so glad you brought him up remember the last time I was on you said I've got to um, transfer and, and the minute I said it the minute I said it 
I couldn't find the tape, and I found the tape since I moved, and I know I owe you that. But we got to go to some calls. I this love is about them. getting to eleven thirty. Listen, listen, listen. If it listen, I, I'm committed. If it costs anything for you to have that done, I will help pay for it. It won't I cost mean me that. anything. It won't cost okay. me anything. I didn't find it until I got to Florida. And and the gotcha. thing is, after I talk to you, and and this is personal, y'all hang with us for a minute. And the minute, the minute I I I I committed to making the tape for you, the CD for you, or the whatever, but the MP3, um, I I got the tape, I put it in my hand, cause you know, way back there in the radio, in the radio land, way back in the pioneer days, as my granddaughter would say, in the pioneer days, they had carts, they didn't have. Uh, we recorded in a radio station in, on carts, so I had to convert it. And the minute I put it down, Zakia, I lost it. Uh, and I didn't find it until I moved to Florida. But we're going to go to the, our phone, 647. Oh, I wanted to ask you, bringing it, bringing it Boye is in our chat room, and he wants to hear from you about um, – the D.A.R.E. program in the police departments. I have always been shady about the D.A.R.E. programs. Um, yeah, same. And, okay, and, 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 and the way in which, you know, people who of goodwill who want to do something, uh, I think everybody, and that includes black organizations, white organizations, police organizations and all, everybody's got to start thinking, rethinking uh, what they do, because um, <coughs> you can't have black children in the D.A.R.E. program and have black police out on the street killing people with uh, by hanging them with their knee. 647, you're on the air with the Zakia Sankara Jabbar. Hello? Good evening. 647. Good evening. Yes. Good evening. How are you? Can you, you hear me? Yes, I'm I can. Okay, Good day. so yeah, so <laughs> I've just been listening for the last, I think, fifteen minutes. But um, I think the I, I'm if I'm looking at the topic of tonight's show, uh-huh. uh, zero tolerance for police in schools defending our children, and then I look at the bottom. It says broadcast and politics progressive. Maybe I'm I, I I need a definition of progressive. Is it like progressive, like left or Democrat progressive, or no progressive? Is there... Progressive as in moving forward, meeting okay. the needs right. of the contemporary. Okay, um, no, that's good because I was wondering. We've been broadcasting whether... since 1985. It's been our common ground with Janice Graham since 1985, and. Oh, race is the core of what we talk about. Oh, okay. Go ahead. All right. Um, so, yeah, so as far as the protests are concerned, and I'm looking at, at, at the comments, and I do agree with one of the people that are commenting that the um, it's about anti-black racism. And what I see is I see a lot of subversion going on. I see a lot of people coming and changing the narrative. It, you know, which, and that, changing that which narrative? 
it's supposed which to be about anti-black, the anti-black racism narrative. And what happens is you have a you, you have people that are 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 are, are protesting you know, against anti-black racism, especially as it relates to uh, law enforcement. And then this, what happens, and it happens all the time, and then you have these other groups that kind of take over the narrative, and they start to uh-huh. slowly change the narrative, adding, right? So adding, they start adding, shading, they start changing. shading. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and, it happens, and it happens all the time, and so much so that we should be looking for it. Every time we're, you know, we're, 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 we're protesting to this extent, it should be something that we look for. So um, just like in Ferguson. And we do. Where Ferguson was, Ferguson is a grass, was a grassroots um, response to, initially was a grassroots response. I was going to say, until it wasn't. Michael, Michael, until it wasn't. So the good brother Darren Sills, may he rest in peace, was an activist then. And he very clearly That's in an right. interview stated how these strange these people came in from out of town that nobody knew that were staying in hotels in downtown St. Louis that had money that when people would go they invited people over to their their hotel rooms and people would observe them on the on their laptop on their computers just raking in dough. Money was coming in just that fast. And nobody knew who these people were, and they they overtook the protest. They were when the media came out to interview those who were protesting. They went directly to these people, and Darren Seals was like, "Who are these people, and where they get all this money from, and why why is the news media going to them, and how are they coming and hijacking this whole thing?" And the same thing happened uh-huh. in Baltimore, right? And the first thing I thought was. Where do these, do these black people that were just in St. Louis all not, on the news are now in Baltimore? Though. What's that? Yes, it was a little different in Baltimore. Uh, I'm in Maryland, and I know some brothers um, who are with an organization called Leaders of a Beautiful Struggle. And thankfully, because they already uh, knew the game, if you will, so to speak, they were able to push back on the whole coming flying in from out of town and, and doing a switch up and trying to take over what's happening in Baltimore. So Here's what happened line. in Ferguson actually did not end up uh, happening in Baltimore. I just wanted to yeah. clarify that. Right, but Here's they were the on line. TV. Go ahead. Go ahead. The bottom line Go is yeah. that you have to align and engage with grassroots organizations. And grassroots organizations that are new have to have some form of education about infiltration. Absolutely. Because when infiltration happens, it breaks the trust of the people that you need to mount the movement, to mount the struggle, to mount the action and the rebellion ever. And when you find when you find that it peters out and you do the analysis, the organizational analysis, you understand what happened. But when there, and, 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 and in the case of, and there was somebody named Pata, or P-A-T-A, who was in, the, in our chat room, and he was saying that Black Lives Matter as an organization, and you know, you gotta, 
differentiate between Black Lives Matter as a cry of rebellion and, and Black Lives Matter the organization. Somebody capitalized Black Lives Matter, the organization. And when you take money in that way, he who gives the money or she who gives the money is going to dictate the intensity of your engagement in whatever issue it is. And they're also going to build because they own your agenda. And that is the bottom line of what has happened in so many of these organizations. One of the reasons that our common ground does not have sponsors, because I ain't going to have it. Do you don't think in uh, since we've been on the air since 1985, and I've had the best black minds. You know, I just blasted a couple of people who I sold a lot of books for because they had nowhere to go. There was no MSNBC. There was no serious radio. It was only me and a hundred and some other black broadcasters who talked to black people because that was what we You have to be real careful about whose money you take. Because but, they own yeah, the agenda. Right. That's but, right. But here's you the thing with Black you, Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter didn't take the money. Black Lives Matter was created by them. So it was never like a, an organization that was for the people and then it got corrupted. It mm. was actually built Oh, oh yeah, by I them. understand it that. Was, that. That's what I'm saying. It was never that. But when you start organizing, when you start organizing, and the, the other part of it is that as grassroots people, grassroots advocates, people in, 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 in my audience who are working with various organizations, various people, you know, the, the, the bottom line is you got to be hard and come after people who do that in your community, who lie, who cheat because it's in their personal interest to do it. Everybody has to be accountable. That includes the guy that that came and told you, "Oh, you're the captain of your of, of your block for my re-election or for my election." If that person is not owning your interest, no matter the cost, that person right. has to be called out and called to accounting. Whether it's the church. And you know I'm a Delta sig. I'm I've been a Delta for over 40 years now. Whether it's Delta, when when Delta took those people's money out of Hollywood and decided they were gonna make a, a, a movie or some old crazy shit that they were doing, and it was my money <laughs> and it was my sorority and my sisterhood, and that crap didn't make any sense. I said, hey, and that's what you have to do. And at every turn, there has to, if you are interested in the survival and the victories of black people, you have got to always dedicate it to an accounting. Yes, and I I think I'm going to say something positive because there's a lot of negative things I can say about what's going on now. But one of the positive things that I see, and this is based on 
just modern technology, right, social media in particular, one of the things I'm seeing is that people are calling people to account. Um, And one of the things is like with this show and there's many other shows online and on YouTube, and they call it the new black media. When they do get a hold of some, some news or some subversion or, you know, as we've seen, there's been hundreds of videos of these Antifa or these white people coming in trying to destroy and drop off bricks you know, for the protest to pick up and start trying to, you know, bust out windows and that kind of thing. When they do see that, we're, we're, we're recording it now. Yes. Well, that's what has to be done. We're we're recording it and and we're, we're, we're doing this. And just recently to your point about subversion. So recently there was a gentleman and I don't know much about him other than the fact that he wears dresses. I don't know what else he does. The gentleman bid or I don't know what to call him, but his name is Billy Porter. So yes. Billy Porter is the guy. Yeah, he, he's coming out apparently, he and star, I have a, He is a star of posse or posse or however it's pronounced. How is it pronounced? Like okay. he, you would know more about that kind of crap than I do. Uh, it's a it's a HBO or Stars or Showtime uh, series. Um about the um, New York transgender community, uh, underground cultural community, whatever. Okay. Okay. I get it. So what did Billy Porter do? uh, Apparently he made a statement about how this is all, and we knew it was coming, uh, how this was all, this is not just about, Black, but this is about LGBTQ. It's about yeah, um, yeah. other groups and that. So he you made know, that attempt. Yeah, yeah. To try to you know what? This, I want you to do. We that. talked about that last week on the show. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we talked about um, how they suborn. Uh, you know, it, it, let me make this point. Black people are marvelous people. We have learned and accomplished so much in our struggle. And these people can't get over it. And they have to appropriate and claim the things that they could never devise. Because our struggle has been so long and so deep that we have learned so much. We've been required to be smarter, to be more unique and adequate for ourselves. So you expect that the uh, the LBGQ and the LGBT and uh, and everybody wants a piece of what we create and a piece of our success. And the thing is that we have to always be very careful, caller. I don't know, caller, do you have a first name? I hate calling people callers. Yeah, Steve. Steve, Steve. Steve, we have to always be very careful. I'm very particular about my allies and, and, and my comrades. I'm very particular about my friends, but my allies and my comrades, 
I do due diligence. And that's why all of them are old. <laughs> Because they're tried and they are true. I mean, um, most of you were not with us when Conrad were real, uh, Dr. Conrad were real, um, was at least two or three times a month on our common ground. And I wasn't able to go because I'm in quarantine and isolation. I wasn't able to go to his homecoming, homegoing service. If it hadn't been a pandemic, I would have been there. Right. Um, it was a beautiful but, service, by the way. It was online. Yeah, I it saw it online. Yeah, I saw it online. And I wept as though my brother, because of my brother, didn't get a chance to finish his work. And yeah. I don't care. All you people out there, all you you know who you are, you trolls, about the people who have done work on reparations for more than 30 years, don't send me an email. I won't hear it. Dr. Conrad oh, Burwell did his Duty. I ain't going to say nothing because I don't start no shit. But excuse me. I right. hope you all have your children in, in the room. Um, but my grandson thinks cussing is like punctuation, he says. <laughs> so, so anyway. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that we have to be vigilant. As George is saying in the chat room, vigilance is required. Not everyone is there to help, and I recognize the insurgency and the infiltration within three hours of the first protest in Minneapolis. I got that. Mm-hmm. Hey Steve, mm-hmm. I hope you join us every um every Saturday night and stay with us tonight and thank you so much because you've made some really good points. You've helped us to really highlight some things. And believe me, this is we talk black truth here. So pro- yes. progressive is about black progress. Black progress okay. and That's our good. thinking and in our struggle, because you, you, you're talking to one of the last race women standing. <laughs> I'm one too. I'm a race woman. I'm the new school race woman. Yeah, but you ain't 70 you years go. old either. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much for your call. All right. Thank you. Have a- <laughs> and, 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 yeah, I mean, you are like, you are like the future. You are like the people. Um, I said to my granddaughter um, and my and my grandson, who were call. They call me every Saturday to ask me what I'm going to be talking about, and and I always say, well, if I'm not talking about something you're interested in, and you're not going to listen or something. But anyway, um, you are the people that my granddaughter and my grandson 
have to look to. In the same way that I had to look to um, um, a whole bunch of people who, you know, most of them, you know, like Julia Hare. Um, I, I just... I love Julia Hare. Uh, you know, and um, Mother Moore. Yes. And, Queen you know, Mother Moore, and yes. Queen Mother Moore. And Great if... If the, the 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 honorable minister Farrakhan called me and said, um, "Mrs. Graham, I need you to," I, yes, sir, brother minister, whatever. Right. If if I mean, and 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 we were doing all this work, you all recognize, we were doing all this work right. when there was no email, there was no internet, uh, it was a telephone, and there, I mean, I mean. I, I ran I a radio. What? Can I tell you something? It's, it's lonely for 21st century race women. It's very lonely. Yeah, and is. I don't know how much you, and I don't know whether it was like that for you uh, in previous generations, but it's very lonely for me because there are so many women in my age group and younger who have been completely socialized in individualism, in anti-African sentiment, in anti-black sentiment, and anti-black male sentiment. And it's hurtful. And and you have an entire generation of uh, women who identify as black feminists and other things like that who are saying some of the most harmful things at very weird times. And and I don't know if you're on uh, Twitter as much as I am, but a lot of this harmful stuff happens on Twitter. And the other thing I have to say is that I'm not going to blame all of it on individual black women who have a legitimate um, uh, a legitimate concern as it comes when it comes to their ideology around black feminism because we can't not think about COINTELPRO and its evolution. We have to be able to incorporate the fact that there are people the same way that they were back in the day in the 60s and 70s when they were infiltrating our movements and infiltrating our organizations. Now they're infiltrating social media and, and divide and conquer. And it's so hurtful because after we talk about the George Floyd protest, right, we talk about children in school. We're talking about the policing, but you got a segment in our community who want black men to be harmed by the police, and it's and it's and it's sick. Some of the stuff yeah, that I'm seeing yeah. on Twitter, some of the things that yeah, I'm seeing, yeah. and, and 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 don't get me wrong, Anti-male. some of these sisters have legitimate, absolutely. Some of these sisters actually have legitimate grievances against brothers. I'm not, un, I'm not, but 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 the thing that I think that I find problematic is the politicization of it. And the fact that you would engender the state to execute someone that you had yes. heart, yes. someone someone that broke yeah. your heart, that's some new yeah. stuff to me. I don't know if yeah. there's ever yeah. any history of it. I mean, you know, and and well, many of them are are they, they have a whole movement on Twitter called "Divest from Black Men," divest. And I'm like, but don't you birth black boys and men? I, I, yeah. It's so yeah. confusing. It's extremely hurtful. Yeah, it it, it is, is a very case women. Yeah, I'm I'm having some a uh, tough time 
uh, you know, around that. I, I tried to really combat when I saw it rising up with lots of visits by Tommy Curry, who, as far as yep. I'm concerned, he is a person who has raised the issue uh, yeah. of the research on the on how white supremacy and white supremacy uh, behavior has traumatized, isolated um, uh, black men uh, in our society. And when I saw that rising, I said, oh, okay, we we got to have uh, Tommy. But, but, but here's the thing. I think in the education of this generation of conscious thinkers, Mm-hmm. especially in uh, in uh, academia that that somebody forgot to teach some people how to distinguish the difference between uh, or the dis- distinguishing differences in how you process white supremacy in your uh, in your ideology from those things which are abnormalities in your personal life. I mean, when I can't sit here and think that with all, excuse me, that with all the opportunities, I'm a graduate of the Sloan School of Management at MIT. I was the first black graduate. I was the first woman graduate. There were no other women for six years after I graduated from Sloan, none. And the average income of Sloan graduates last year was $750,000 a year. Now, if I sat here and thought about that, I have to think of that personal thing in terms of my ideology and how I'm going to live my life and who I am and what I'm obligated to do. Right. So th- there was no education about that. The other is think that there is and we've got only 10 minutes to go here and I'm going to have to thank you for I I think that we have to come back together and t- I I want to talk specifically about that. And you know my offer is still open to you cuz I still have truth worth network network. <laughs> and black women in wisdom yeah. Uh, what well, remind me of the offer again? That you can have your, you can do your own thing. You can bring all your stuff right to Two Source Network once a week, twice a week, three times a week. <laughs> you got it. All right. Um, all right. Because we need to be having this on. Somebody needs to be teaching that these issues are before us, they'll get in our way eventually. This is going, what you just, the the whole idea of black women battling black men is going to get in the way at some point. Mm -hmm. It's going to get in the way. and, And then to be fair, but then to be fair though, I'm starting to see particularly of black men in the academy. So these are these are fights with black folks, particularly in the academy, because now I'm seeing online sentiment from a very small number of groups 
of educated black men, and I'm certainly not counting Tommy in that. Tommy is a is a prolific scholar. The brother is undeniable. He's, He's so in the brilliant. same mold so of Wilson. He's brilliant. So I'm not talking about him because Tommy actually doesn't use dehumanizing language about black women because number one he's married to a black woman he got two black daughters and got a black mother and so he never he never comes with that kind of tone he always keeps it very he always keeps it very about facts i mean the brother is just about facts but anyway he's done the research he's done the research he's done the research he's done the research and and it's really undeniable yeah yeah. it's undeniable but But listen i've got to go go ahead I just wanted to Make say that point. really quickly that I'm starting to see a small number of young of, of black brothers doing the same thing in response. And I think it's, it's a natural response to push back on somebody who's dehumanizing you. But the problem is it's still divide and conquer. To me, I want us exactly. to vibrate higher. Exactly. To me, I want us exactly. to recognize the game that's being played on us. You understand me? I want us to recognize exactly. the game that's being played on us. We got to vibrate yep. higher, and if if we're going to be forgiven of anybody, we need to be forgiving of us. Exactly. We should exactly. forgive racist white folks every damn day and go to work for them because we have to. Yes. Right? Yes. So why can't we yes. dig deep for, to forgive each other in a system that we didn't already name anti-blackness as the fulcrum of white supremacy? That's all. We got to come back and talk yeah. about this, though. Okay, we uh, we are going to do that. As a matter of fact, I just wrote a note to give you a call on Monday, give you a break tomorrow. Tomorrow is tomorrow Father's Day. Tomorrow is Father's Day, and we celebrating our wonderful <laughs> Black Father. I want to yeah. wish uh, Zakia Sankara Jabbar and your wonderful husband and family. Thank you so very much for what you do. Um, I'm going to be broadcasting on Wednesdays, and maybe we can get you back on Wednesday, and we'll continue this conversation. That sounds good. I'd be I'd be delighted to come back. I, and maybe we can get in some more callers next time. I love to engage with people. Yeah, I I I, I absolutely agree. Thank you so very much. I'm going to mute you for a minute, and we're going to have some. Um, some discussion here as we close out tonight. I uh, want you to know that starting this Wednesday, uh, which is, if I look at the calendar, this Wednesday on June 24th, June 24th, uh, I will be broadcasting at the same time, 10 to midnight. Um, I realize that people... A lot of people are working from home, so it's not a matter of of having to get up and go to work in the morning, so I'm not changing the time. That'll be easier for you. We do want to thank our sister who has done so much work on behalf of our people, uh, Zakia Sankara Jabbar, and we want to thank you for for being with us here tonight at our Common Ground. Our email address is Info OCG at OurCommonGround.com. You can always find out what's happening with us. You can also subscribe, and you'll get our newsletter, and you'll get information about this program. Next Saturday night, we're going to be having with us Dr. Ron Daniels. 
and um, he has been a activist, advocate, broadcaster. Um, he even ran for president of the United States on a referendum of a black agenda um, campaign for a new tomorrow. Uh, he is the producer, the founder of uh, a wonderful organization that's doing both domestic and international work on white supremacy and um, community development, and I hope you'll join us at that time. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Steve, for your call, Alpha, L, Michelle, and George. Uh, in the chat room, Pata, bringing it boyi. And uh, I hope you'll join us on Wednesday night. Zakia hasn't checked her calendar, but I'm sure um, she'll make the time. And we'll continue this conversation at our common ground. This is the Black Truth Sanctuary. Um, not formulating any other perspectives through any other lens, through the lens of a struggling people. We're asking you to stay safe. We're asking you to wear your mask, to wash your hands, teach your children the Negro National Anthem. They should not be without it. You will find that it can be the beginning of them building their defense system. And if we've done nothing tonight but this, begin to have conversations with the parents, the activists, the advocates. If you know people on the school board who live in your neighborhoods or live in your community or you voted for, begin to talk to them about the reform that is necessary to put the right resources with the right skills in our schools and remove the threat of law enforcement meeting maybe the behavior of children and adolescents as a response. I'm Janice Graham. On Wednesday night at 10 p.m., I'll be listening for you. Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. For all of you that have joined us in our chat room, we thank you as well. I'm Janice Graham. Join us each Saturday at Our Common Ground. I'll be listening for you, speaking truth to power and ourselves. The city has that stagger on the coastline in a nation that just can't stand much more. Like the forest buried beneath the highway. Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. For all of you...